Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. It is Thanksgiving week, and Purdue fans have no shortage of action to follow along with this week. It's old oaken bucket time as Purdue football prepares to head to Bloomington to take on the Hoosiers for the final game of the regular season. Plus, basketball is heading out to Portland. I think they're flying out there as I speak here on Tuesday afternoon. They've got the Phil Knight Legacy Tournament. They're going to face some pretty good competition. Certainly, we'll learn quite a bit about themselves. A lot going on. Going to be very busy for Purdue fans. I got action Thursday night all the way through Sunday. We are here today to preview it all for you. Real quick, if you don't already, follow the show on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. Going to be a lot to talk about over there, so come join the conversation. And be sure to subscribe. Basketball season is just getting started. Purdue football will have a bowl game coming up. Going to be a lot to talk about on the show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss anything. And hey, real quick, happy Thanksgiving to you all. Uh, I cannot begin to say how thankful I am for all of you who listen to the show, who interact with the show over on Twitter. Uh, I have a blast doing it. I have a blast interacting with you all. Uh, Purdue fans are, while it's a smaller fan base in the realm of things, a awesome group to be around and I love doing the show. Thank you guys for making it what it is. I couldn't be doing this without you all. So thank you to those of you who interact with the show. And there is certainly no shortage of things to talk about and be thankful for this week. Real quick, a couple of things I missed on the Northwestern postgame podcast. I did not think that was one of my better episodes, but somehow I forgot to mention the Gus Hartwig injury. Uh, Purdue's starting center, the junior from Zionsville, went down early in the second half, and that wasn't good at all. It sounds like he's done for the year. Jeff Brom mentioned that the injury was pretty significant. I uh, think it's a knee injury, but not positive there. That's not good. That you know that was really disappointing. He's been a very good piece for Purdue uh, over the past couple seasons. Very valuable piece, a guy who, you know, got action as a true freshman back in 2020. He's played a lot of football for Purdue, so to lose him isn't great. Uh, Josh Kaltenberger came in, was a little bit surprised to see him come in. I, you know, Jeff Brom had mentioned that they were getting pretty thin on the offensive line. I thought they might reshuffle with the five healthy ones they had left, and they didn't. They went with Kaltenberger in there. Uh, so we'll see how that goes moving forward. And then against Northwestern, I wonder how much of Purdue's game plan changed without Devin Mockaby in there. You know, Purdue still tried to run the ball a fair amount using Kobe Lewis and Dylan Downing, but it's no secret that those guys simply are not as explosive. Uh, they're not as effective as Devin Mockaby. They don't have the big play ability, uh, the elusiveness of Devin Maccabi. So I wonder how much of Purdue's game plan had to change knowing that, you know, breaking off big runs wasn't likely to happen. I don't know. I don't know that it did much, but I do wonder 
what the impact of losing Maccabee was on the game plan, especially when you look at that second half when Purdue tried to throw it maybe a little bit too much, but they really didn't get anything going on the ground either. So I do think that probably hindered Purdue a little bit on offense. Um, You know, moving forward, though, one last game of the regular season. It is crazy how fast the season has gone. It feels like it was just yesterday where we were getting ready for Penn State. Uh, Optimism was as high as I've seen it from Purdue fans in some time. How quickly things go and how quickly the season comes to an end. Purdue and Indiana, 3.30 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. On the Big Ten Network, for those of you not making the trip to Bloomington, I myself will not be. Um, I do think it'll be a pretty good Purdue turnout, though. The 124th meeting between these two programs, one of the longest-played rivalries in college football with the old oaken bucket on the line. Crazy enough, the first time Purdue will play in Bloomington since way back in 2018. You'll remember the 2020 game got canceled. Both teams had COVID cases in the program that prevented that game from being played. Uh, And then 2019 and 2021, both in West Lafayette. Uh, It's always an interesting matchup when you have two coaches who were hired in the same cycle. And you'll, you know, remember I talked about that quite a bit when looking at Purdue versus Minnesota. Uh, Jeff Brom versus P.J. Fleck, that's always a good discussion point there. And it's the same deal with Jeff Brom and Tom Allen. Programs were certainly in two different spots. Indiana was moving on from Kevin Wilson due to uh, a little more off the field, um, not exactly coaching decision-related stuff, not wins and losses. Meanwhile, Purdue coming off the worst four-year stretch, Uh, that it had had in some time under Daryl Hazel. But, you know, ever since these two coaches have taken over, Purdue's done a nice job in this rivalry. Jeff Brom leads 3-1 over Tom Allen. Uh, Purdue picked up wins 2017 and 2018. Both those games, Purdue won by a touchdown. Both those games featured Purdue and Indiana coming in at 5-6. Purdue won both of them to get the bowl eligibility nod. I'll always maintain that that win over Indiana in 2017, one of the more underrated victories in Purdue history. Purdue lost the bucket in 2019, a double overtime loss. Purdue had the chance to go for two at the end of the first overtime, elected not to. They lost it in the second overtime. And then last year, uh, after a year off, Purdue dominated Indiana in Ross-Aid Stadium 44-7. Indiana limped to a 2-10 season after starting the year in the top 25. Meanwhile, Purdue outperformed expectations and finished 8-4. This year, Purdue is coming in as a favorite. Purdue's favored by around 10. Purdue's at 7-4. They are at 5-3 in the Big Ten. On the flip side, Indiana... Four and seven. They are two and six in the Big Ten. They did get off to a nice three and zero start to the season. They beat Illinois. They took down Idaho, and they kind of came from behind to beat Western Kentucky. They were off to a three and zero start, feeling good. 
But things went downhill pretty quickly. They lost over at Cincinnati to wrap up non-conference play. And then they lost their first, or excuse me, their next six Big Ten games. They won their opener against Illinois. And then their next six Big Ten games were all losses, most of them by a significant margin. Uh, They played Maryland and Rutgers tough, but as a whole, not great from the Hoosiers. They really struggled there for a little while. Things didn't look good, especially around the program. Tom Allen's not in a contract situation where Indiana's going to fire him. I don't think that's feasible right now. But Allen made some pretty pointed comments about IU's NIL program and IU's overall investment in football. That got the IU fans going on Twitter a lot. Uh, It was during his radio show. You probably saw it. It got pretty widespread. And, you know, overall vibes around the program just haven't been great. Fans are getting frustrated. You know, they showed a lot of reason for optimism. 2019, they went 8-4. 2020, you know, they had that big season. They were 6-1 in the regular season. Lost a bowl game, but they were feeling really good about the direction they were going. Since then... It hasn't gone well for IU, but last week they decided to go with the quarterback switch. They put in sophomore Dexter Williams and really went with a full-on run-heavy, run-only approach more or less. 50, excuse me, 44 run plays to just seven passes, but it worked. Indiana pulled off a 39-31 upset victory over Michigan State last week, and It came, granted, uh, Michigan State almost doubled up Indiana in yardage, 540 to 288. You don't see many games where the team with 288 yards wins in that situation, but IU did it and got the overtime win. They brought the old brass spittoon back to Bloomington. First time in a while, I believe, and, you know, it gave them a reason for confidence and Sometimes when you're a program that's really struggling, it just takes that one win to get you get you up and, you know, to speak Purdue language a bit, to have a pulse. We'll see what Indiana does here. I would assume Dexter Williams is going to play again in the bucket game. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's not much of a thrower, but he can run the ball. And I think you'll see Indiana come in with a lot of zone read concepts. You will have... Uh, Williams running the ball a lot. Sean Shivers is an Auburn transfer at running back. He's really nice. He's done a nice job for them. Had a big week last week. Josh Henderson as well. He'll spell Shivers at times. And, you know, overall, they're going to run the ball heavy, heavy, heavy. I don't know that they'll be able to run it as much as they did last week, but I expect Indiana to try to establish the run as much as they possibly can and at all costs avoid obvious passing downs. I say that because to this point, the outlook on Dexter Williams as a passer is rather unclear. He's 12 for 37 passing on the season. That's 32%. He has thrown for a pair of touchdowns as well as a pair of interceptions He had a deep ball touchdown against Ohio State, but overall consistency hasn't been there as a passer. 
Certainly doesn't help that I use top receiver Torres ACL a few games back. He's done for the season. So now you look at where that receiver group is, and Emory Simmons is an all right option. I like A.J. Barner, their tight end. He can do some all right things. Purdue fans will recognize the name Donovan McCulley. He was a guy Purdue recruited at quarterback out of Lawrence North, I believe, and went to IU, played some quarterback last year. They moved him to receiver very quickly over the summer. He's out there now. He's a big body, a guy they can throw and have him go up and get it a little bit. But, you know, as a whole, this this passing game is rather limited. I think it was smart of IU to go with this different approach. You know, they brought in Connor Bazelak, the Missouri transfer, to play quarterback for them this year and try to open up the passing game. It just didn't work. And I think this is at least an approach that you can try out, see how it does at the end of the season. And then for Indiana, they can take a little bit more of a holistic view of things at the end of the season. On the defensive side of the ball, it has not been good for IU. Giving up 34 points a game, giving up 454 yards of offense a game. Boy, that's not good. Those aren't good numbers. Uh, both the run and the pass, you know, they rank above 100th in the FBS in both of those on defense. Boy, not good. Um, they've got some all right players. You know, Taiwan Mullen is a guy at corner who's probably going to get drafted. They've had Cam Jones, their best linebacker, hurt for a little while, but that's allowed them to get true freshman Dason McCullough in there, and he's really good. Uh, former four-star recruit, really highly regarded. He's certainly someone to keep an eye on, both on Saturday and moving forward into the future. They don't force turnovers all that well, just 13 through this point. I think if you're Purdue, you should feel good about going up against this IU defense. Their special teams are better than Purdue's. Charles Campbell, solid kicker for them. Uh, their punter has done a nice job. He's punted a ton. Uh, he's punting about seven times a game, so that's quite a bit. But the, their kickoff return man, I think it's Jalen Lucas, right? I think that's his name. Uh, he's taken two to the house this year. He, IU has a kick return game that Purdue doesn't. Last weekend, you know, Purdue had the chance to return some kickoffs. Kobe Lewis didn't look comfortable doing it at all. I don't know if they'll go with a different guy. I don't know if Purdue will just try to fair catch everything. But that's not a real needle mover for Purdue. Look, it's not a great Indiana team. As I said, Purdue's favored by about 10. On the road, that's a pretty substantial, pretty healthy margin. I think that number might be a little high, but I think that's a little bit more about my perception of Purdue than it is this Indiana team. Taking a bit of a look at the Purdue injury report, you know, I mentioned earlier, Hartwig's going to be out at center. He's done for the year. Josh Kaltenberger's going to start. Jeff Brom did mention that Spencer Holstedge, would slide in as the number two center behind Kaltenberger. I would think if that happened, you would move Sione Finau to left guard. Um, 
And then Malachi Preciado, the true freshman out of Louisiana. Brom mentioned that he travels with the team, and if it got into a pinch, Purdue could send him out there uh, to play center as well. It sounds like he's got a real bright future if he's to that point already. As a true freshman, Devin Maccabee's status did remain in question. Uh, Brom said uh, during his Monday press conference that uh, it would be a later-in-the-week decision. Been some thoughts out on Twitter that Maccabee's going to be okay to play this weekend. We'll find out on Saturday, but Purdue could really use him. Uh, they tried a lot of stuff to spark the run game without him last weekend, and it really never got going against a run defense that wasn't all that good. They're going to play another run defense this week that's not all that good, and they would certainly like number 45 out there to give them a boost. Kyron Douglas is injured. Uh, he was hurt against Illinois, but he played through it. Jeff Brom said flat out he was injured and played through it against Northwestern. I It sounds like he's going to give it a go again against Indiana. So some credit to him there. Uh, that's not easy. And then Brom did say Branson Dean is not likely to play. Uh, that's a bummer there. Didn't play against Northwestern. Uh, he was hurt against Illinois. He came back in to finish the game. I guess you never know, but Brom said it's probably not likely that Branson Dean plays on Saturday. Three keys to a Boilermaker victory here. Number one, I think negative plays are going to be really important in this game. Again, Indiana's going to take a run-heavy approach to this one, I would think. If Dexter Williams is going to be out there, that's the way I use going to try to play. If you can get them behind the chains, though, and you can get them into second and long, third and medium, third and long, how feasible is that? Is that something that they can go with and succeed? If they drop back to pass, when they drop back to pass, can Purdue get some pressure on him? You know, he's quick. He's going to be elusive. But can you keep him uncomfortable back there? You know, throwing incomplete passes, keeping IU behind the chains to where the run game gets more and more difficult. That's going to be huge. And then on the flip side, depends if Maccabee plays or not. But regardless, you know, Purdue's not going to have some unreal running game. What Purdue needs is to be able to be in situations where the short passing game is effective. This season has not been great for Purdue from a deep passing perspective. Purdue's receivers don't get enough separation for that. So Purdue needs to find a way to dial up some easy completions. Purdue needs to fi find a way to you know, get six, seven yards. And if Purdue can avoid negative plays and be in, you know, second and seven, second and six, uh, third and a couple situations, you make that so much easier. Number two, Aiden O'Connell. It's not been a bad year for Aiden O'Connell. By no means has it been bad. You know, 63% completion. It's down a lot from last year, but that's still not bad. 20 to 11 touchdown to interception ratio, uh, just okay. It's not been the fans, this, excuse me, it's not been the season that Purdue fans were dreaming of for him. It hasn't been. He hasn't performed at the 
all Big Ten type of level. But, and I will say, it's not all on him. It certainly isn't. The The drop-off in receivers is substantial. But this would be a really nice time for O'Connell to put together one last big performance. You look at the early forecast projections, and there is a chance of rain on Saturday in Bloomington. But if that can be avoided, it looks like it'll be an all right day to throw the football. It's not going to be bitterly cold like it's been the last two weeks, and it's not going to be overly windy the way it has been at times recently. So if he's able to air it out a little bit, you'd really like him to have one last big game for Purdue in a game against his biggest rival to close out his regular season career. And then look, special teams, number three. Last week, Purdue had a punt blocked. Uh, They've really flirted with danger there at times this year, and it caught up with them with a punt blocked on Saturday. They missed a field goal, uh, a kick that they shouldn't have tried, but they did, and it didn't go in. These things on special teams can't happen. You're in the 12th game of the season. This stuff can't happen. You have to make some quality decisions on special teams. I think taking the fair catch when it's there on kickoffs, probably a smart idea. You haven't shown much return ability. You can't try to ask Mitchell Finneran to do things he's not capable of. And on the flip side, you can't let Indiana create big plays in the return game. That's an area where they can really shorten up that field for them and get them in good field position to start drives. Instead, you want them to have to earn everything that they can get because the offense is rather limited. I'll say this, number 3B in this, emotions and decision-making. It's a rivalry game. It's going to be intense. There's going to be chirping. There's going to be jawing. Purdue has not been a disciplined or composed team this year. Now, I'm not referring to the Jalen Graham penalty last week necessarily, but Purdue's had too many times. You look at the Syracuse game. You look at the Illinois game where they've lost their cool quite a bit. You just can't have that on Saturday. You can't have that at all. Indiana's going to try to bait him into it, I'm sure. Indiana has nothing to lose. So I would be very cautious, if I'm Purdue, about player discipline on Saturday. As far as a prediction goes, look, Purdue's the better team here. Purdue has the better offense. Purdue has the better defense. Purdue, I think, is a better coached team. Purdue wins the game. It's going to be close. I'll go with Purdue 27, Indiana 21. I just can't see Purdue pulling far away in this game because they haven't done it all year. I think the Purdue defense is good to give up a big play or two, but the Indiana offense is rather limited. I don't know how much they really have in the playbook with Dexter Williams to open up that offense and do a ton I'll go with Purdue here. They should win this game. There's no reason Purdue should lose this game. Rivalry games do happen. Weird things happen. But I'll take the Boilers to win this one. On the hardwood, basketball is heading out to PK-85 out in Portland this weekend. Once you're all full from your turkey and your mashed potatoes and your pecan pie, you will want to get that afternoon nap in. It's a late tip-off for Purdue basketball on Thursday. 
10 o'clock p.m. Eastern against West Virginia in the Phil Knight Legacy Bracket. Uh, a nice tournament out there, a nice little birthday present for Phil Knight. Must be nice. Uh, that would be cool. But, hey, it's going to be a good test for Purdue. These tournaments are difficult to preview sometimes because you know the first game, you know the two possible opponents for the second game, but there's four possible opponents for your third game. Uh, a lot to preview, a lot to break down. So we'll talk West Virginia, talk about the tournament as a whole, what we're looking for. Uh, this is going to be a good game on Thursday night. Ken Palm has Purdue by two giving the Boilers a 58% chance of victory. You know, look, it's early season. Uh, those metrics are only, you know, take them for what they're worth. It's very early on in the season. So with how many transfers are around these days, really hard to gauge how well the predictives are at this point. But West Virginia's 4-0. They've won three games uh, three bye games, and then they beat a really bad pit team, but you can only play who's on your schedule. They're off to a good start. They've won all their games comfortably to this point, and they have a number of key transfers in the rotation. Purdue fans will remember Joe Toussaint, the old guard from Iowa. He's on this West Virginia team. Uh, Trey Mitchell is a name that's been in college basketball for a while. He was at Texas before West Virginia. Uh, so they're an experienced team by transfers, not as experienced when you look at guys and what they've done at West Virginia. It's not necessarily the same press Virginia style of play of old. If you'll remember when Purdue kind of had, what was it? They played four or five years in a row, I think, uh, back late baby boilers and in some of the dark years there. Uh, but they do play nice defense still. Uh, they're sitting well at this point. None of their opponents have hit 60 points on them. Good West Virginia defense. It's going to be a good challenge. You know, this is going to be the highest rated team in Ken Palm that Purdue has played to this point. They do rank ahead of Marquette. Uh, take it for what it's worth. It's early. But it's going to be a good team for Purdue to play against. I know Matt Painter really respects Bob Huggins and the West Virginia program. It should be a good challenge. Winning the first game in this tournament would be really nice. Just A, generally, it's good to win your first game of a tournament. But the Purdue-West Virginia game is paired with the Gonzaga-Portland State game. I'll go out on a limb and say Gonzaga will win that game. So you pair, likely, the winner of Purdue-West Virginia with Gonzaga and the loser with Portland State. I think if you're Purdue, it would be a lot more fulfilling to get Gonzaga than it would be to get Portland State. Uh, Portland State ranks 262 on Ken Palm. For reference, that's below Austin P, who Purdue played. Is above UW-Milwaukee, though. Um, uh, you know, if you play Portland State, you want to see Purdue just kind of cruise through a bye game. But if you get Gonzaga... It's certainly a hell of a challenge. They're a really good team. They just took it to Kentucky on Sunday. Uh, they did lose to Texas, but Gonzaga's always solid. It's kind of a nothing-to-lose type of game if you're Purdue, and I'm always a proponent of those early on in the season. Uh, if you get Portland State, meh. So winning this West Virginia game would be really good for Purdue. 
to give them a big-time opponent uh, to kind of beef up that resume a little bit. And then a potential third game, the other side has Duke, Oregon State, Florida, and Xavier. Duke's really good, obviously. Uh, John Shire, first-year coach there, but uh, they have all sorts of talent on that roster. Oregon State, not good at all. They went 3-28 and last year after making the Elite Eight. Tournament luck can be a little bit random sometimes. Uh, they just lost to Portland State. Again, I don't think they're very good. So uh, the Beavers might have a rough week out in Portland. Xavier over there just played Indiana really tough. Uh, they're more than solid. They're a good group. Don't know much about this year's Florida team. Colin Castleton's a good player, but, you know, new coach down there. Uh, the guy from San Francisco. They should be solid. Uh, at least. So, you know, you're going to get a pretty good opponent in that third game probably, and it'll be a chance for Purdue to really grow as a team. I think if you can go two and one in this tournament, you're really happy flying back to West Lafayette. However that happens, however that occurs, uh, it is worth noting Purdue plays Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday. Uh, They're smart. They take Saturday off. Saturdays for football this time of year and then play again on Sunday. So I think 2-1 and one would be great, but it all really depends who Purdue ends up playing. Um, I think 1-2, and two, no matter who you play, would be a bit of a disappointment, but with how young this team is, with how far this team has to go still, it's going to be a good barometer. It's going to be a good measure of where Purdue is. You know, a few things I want to see out in Portland from this team We've seen Zach Eady dominate. We've seen him play at a really high level so far, but he's played 30 minutes in a couple of these games. I don't think that's sustainable. Not when you have three games in four days like you're going to have out here in Portland. So what happens without him on the floor? I really want to see good minutes for that Trey Kaufman, Ren, and Caleb first pairing. It's much different than what Purdue does with Zach Eady out there, but... I want to see Kay, uh, Trey Kaufman Wren in those one-on-one low post matchups. I think everything that we've heard is that he's a good low, po- low post scorer. Want to see what he does in some of those situations when he's isolated down there. And while Caleb First hasn't necessarily shot all that well through three games, we've seen him knock down threes before. His rebounding, his defensive versatility, his energy... All of that really brings a lot to this group. And I think when you look at him on offense, he could be a really good pick and roll, pick and pop guy to utilize some of the high ball screen stuff. Um, You know, I know Purdue doesn't love to do that, but they've shown willingness to do it. And I think he can be a really versatile piece. You saw what he could do diving to the rim in that last game against Marquette. I think you'll see more of that as the season goes on. And I think just as a whole, you would like to get this group of Kaufman, Wren, and First going a little bit. In that front court, too, Mason Gillis has been really quiet. He's just two for nine from the floor to this point. I think Purdue would really like to get him going a little bit. Um, Outside shooting as a whole is really important for this Purdue team. It's going to be a area where Purdue 
has to be solid at least to allow Zach Eady to operate at top efficiency. So far, Purdue shooting 28.8% from three. Now, the aberration against Austin P is certainly holding that down. I, I think Purdue's a much better three-point shooting team than 28%. But you want to see Purdue get to that mid-30s range or better, ideally better. But, you know, you want to see Purdue knock down shots. Let's see if there's a big game from Fletcher Lawyer or Brandon Newman in there. Uh, let's see if Braden Smith can continue to shoot the ball well from out there. Um, David Jenkins going to be a big piece as well from three. He's been proven throughout his career as a good three-point shooter. So, you know, I think that's an area where Purdue has to be better than what they've been to this point. Finding a rotation is going to be really key. It's early in the season, and it's always kind of a work in progress, but Purdue's playing 10 guys right now. That's hard to do. We we saw it last season when Brandon Newman kind of got squeezed out. It is really hard to play 10 guys good minutes in a game and have your best players out there enough. It's just not easy to do. Settings like this, where you play three games in four days, it's really nice to have that much depth. You're going to need it. Someone gets in foul trouble. You know, someone could tweak an ankle. You, you never know. So it is going to be really good to have that depth now. But when you get into Big Ten play and you have to whittle down that rotation, maybe this tournament will give us a little bit clearer of a picture as to who is going to get big minutes, who may not get as many minutes, all of that's going to be really interesting to see. You know, finally, we know that this Purdue team still has a ways to go, but just how far? You know, where are they at now? It's hard to really say just through three games, but we will certainly learn quite a bit from this team against better competition in a little bit different of a venue. A lot of these guys have not played in, you know, this type of a setting before, going to be very different. I think it's going to be a good barometer. Matt Painter really values some in-season practice time. He talks about that a lot. And you look at this past week where Purdue, you know, by the time they play on Thursday night, it'll have been nine days since they played their last game. So we'll see where they're at as a whole after some of that. And we'll see where they have to go. By no means... Do the results of this tournament tell the story of the season? You look at last year, what happened out at Mohegan Sun. You know, the highlights were just on Twitter the other day. Purdue went on a massive second half run to beat Villanova. They looked like the best team in the country, but by the end of the season, they were far from that. So don't look too much into the results here. I know if it doesn't go well, Purdue fans are going to be really upset, but I don't think you should look too much into what happens out here. It's much more about the process than it is initial results for this year's team. All right, a couple things to end on here. Sunday, it all begins. Yes, that is the coaching carousel of college football. It begins on Sunday. Jobs across the country are going to be open. Jobs across the country are going to be filled. It's going to get a little bit hectic. We saw it last year with Oklahoma and Notre Dame. 
Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly leaving for other high-profile jobs. Anything can happen. Quite literally, anything can happen. And there's been no shortage of whispers about the situation at Louisville, about Scott Satterfield. I don't know how Louisville could justify firing him at this point. You know, they're sitting at seven and four. They've had a nice second half of the season. Their NIL program has helped them secure a nice recruiting class, but they don't seem to be all in on Scott Satterfield by any means. Uh, There's plenty of Louisville fans complaining about him on Twitter at times. They don't seem to love him. And if something were to happen and Satterfield were to no longer be the coach at Louisville, you know exactly where they're looking. I don't know that Louisville moving on from Satterfield would be smart. I think it's possible that Satterfield decides that he's done with Louisville, that he's done with the discontent there, and decides to move on to another job. There are going to be plenty of other jobs open. He already kind of publicly wanted that South Carolina job a couple years ago when they uh, hired Shane Beamer. Didn't get it, but he wanted it. And Louisville fans really didn't like that. Can't really blame him, but you know it's certainly possible that he decides to move on. Would Jeff Brom leave for a job besides Louisville? I don't know that there's anything that's open right now that I look at and think, eh, that makes a lot of sense. You never know. I, I, I'm i of the opinion that Louisville's the job he wants if he decides to leave Purdue. And whether it opens or not, you know, I don't know. But there's certainly a lot of fans out there who dismiss the notion that it's a possibility. I would at least prepare yourself for it to be a possibility because... If something happens and the Louisville job's open, again, I don't see them firing Scott Satterfield, but if he decides to leave on his own on his own terms, then it's going to get really loud about that trip on I-65 from Lafayette to Louisville really quickly. And when that happens, you know, it's going to be kind of a Brom watch 24-7 until the Louisville job is filled. Find out something soon, though. The craziness begins on Sunday, and for college football fans, it really is a fun time. And then I did have a question as well over on Twitter, a good one here. Another thing that's going to happen, and I've seen it on Twitter today a little bit, players entering the transfer portal. There are transfer windows now. Uh, I believe that's coming up. Early December, I think when they announce the college football playoff field is when that transfer portal window opens, but guys can announce they're going to transfer at any time, and I would think after the bucket game, that's when you start hearing Purdue players enter the portal. Uh, They're, you know, the question was about who is going to be exiting, when guys would head out, etc. Look, you know, there are two transfer windows here. Uh, It's going to be after the season ends and then one after spring ball ends. So those are when guys could leave. I don't remember when the window window ends after the season. I want to say early January. Look, Purdue has had plenty of players depart via the portal since the transfer portal became commonplace. But 
they haven't really lost some massive contributor. They lost Malik Carr. He was a guy they certainly would have liked to keep. They lost Jack Plummer. You know, that was for the best. Plummer got a good situation and wasn't going to play at Purdue. But outside of them, I mean, there haven't been guys who have gone on to play big roles at other Power 5 programs, and Malik Carr really hasn't done that either. Would that change this year? I don't know. NIL could certainly change things. You know, we saw it last year a little bit with high-profile players. Uh, You know, Jordan Addison was the big one who kind of got bought by USC, allegedly. Um, Zay Flowers from Boston College said he turned down a bunch of money uh, from Miami to stay at Boston College. So I think with NIL becoming more commonplace, yeah, you know, I think that could have impact on lesser caliber players. I don't know what to expect here. Uh, I can assure you Purdue will have players depart. I am absolutely positive about that. I it's I don't know who would leave. I'm not here to make speculations on that. But there's going to be plenty of action. And Purdue is going to be adding plenty of guys out of the portal as well. Uh, that's going to be absolutely critical for Purdue next season. So between the coaching carousel, uh, the transfer portal, and bowl selection time, you know, we are nearing bowl selections. For As far as Purdue goes, you know, there's still a lot to be determined here. Uh, Florida may be an option. Charlotte, Phoenix, and New York seem to be the other possibilities. Uh, it's too early to tell. Um, we'll see how some of the stuff falls. It is going to be big for Purdue. If you want Purdue to go to a high caliber bowl, you want Penn state to get a new year six selection along with Michigan and Ohio state. Obviously they will either be in the playoff or in the new year six, but you want those three to be in new year six bowls. That way it opens up as many big 10 slots as possible for the smaller 11 as the big three go to New Year's Six Bowls. But that's all I have for today. Thank you again uh, for spending your time with me both today and all throughout the season. We've had a blast here. Uh, So much is going on this weekend. Be sure to follow along on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. We'll be talking about it all. Subscribe here. Late Sunday, we'll have an episode once basketball wraps up their weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. To those of you who are going to be traveling, safe travels to you all. Enjoy what will be an action-packed weekend of sports. Enjoy your time with family and friends and the turkey. I'll talk to you all soon. Take care, everybody.